Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. First, let me say that this will be my last sermon at Tikvat Israel as the congregational leader. Aww. Why are you clapping? (laughs) Now, before you start to get all teary-eyed, or clap, I guess. <laughs> Let me explain. I was not expecting that. This is because the next time I preach, it will be Rosh Hashanah morning, and I will be preaching as the rabbi of Tikvat Israel. All right. Yeah, you could clap for that. Baruch <laughs> Hashem. God is good. Yeah. I don't know why you clapped at the first part. I'm still a little hurt by that, honestly, but I'm, I, I will forgive and move on. Uh, You may notice that we have had many other leaders fill in this month to preach so that I can focus on preparing for ordination and preparing for the busy season of the high holidays to come uh, in this new year. And I want to thank Asamar Martins and Jonathan Moore and uh, Rabbi Russ Resnick for preaching the other Shabbats in August, and I want to thank um, our local leaders here, uh, Wayne Blankenship and David Haller and Eric Friedman, for filling in last month and uh, next month. So, Baruch Hashem, that we have so many capable sermon sermoners. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, God is good. All right, so now, it's good to be back here at the synagogue. I missed you all last week. But we had a good time visiting Falling Water, which is a house designed by the famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, The house is in the western part of Pennsylvania. So last Friday, Sonia and I drove up to meet my parents who were in a separate car at a Verbo, which is kind of like an Airbnb. Here's a picture of the car that we drove up there. My beloved little red Kia Rio. Ah, yes. I'd like to share a little poem about my car while the picture is up there. See it up there in the hills of Western PA, next to the farmhouse where we did happily stay. But all worldly possessions are prone to moth and decay, and my poor Kia Rio passed on to eternity that day. Aww. Yes, as we drove up, Sonia and I started to hear a terrible noise where I soon realized that something was terribly wrong. And I learned that before one goes on a long trip, one should probably get an oil change. My first lesson, there's gonna be seven lessons here, by the way. Along the way, the car is getting louder. I'm feeling worse and worse. How many of us have ever gotten stuck in the shoulda, coulda, wouldas? Should have gotten an oil change before I left. I should have taken care of this the week before. Yes, I I see some hands. Okay, we've been there. All right, it's not just me. Okay. But how many of you also have an encouraging person in your life to say, hey, don't beat yourself up. 
It's a mistake. It's an opportunity to learn for next time. And moreover, God is in control. For me, that is my bride, Sonia. Baruch Hashem. Yeah. So that was lesson number two and three. Uh, yes. Um, or as the Messianic Jewish worship leader Keith Green used to sing, you just keep doing your best and pray that it's blessed. Jesus takes care of the rest. Yes, the Lord said he'll take care of the rest. He's gonna do it. He'll take care of the rest. He'll see it through it. Yeah. He'll take care of the, he'll take care of the rest. Amen. So we stopped at a gas station, and because it was getting late, we couldn't get an oil change, but we could check the oil and at least put in a little bit of clean oil, and maybe that would help, right? So that we did together. We were looking on you know, YouTube videos of our car and how to do it, and uh, Sonia was, uh, was awesome at that. <laughs> All right, so higher and higher, we climbed into the mountains of Pennsylvania and the poor car sounded worse and worse. And finally, we pulled into the farmhouse and I think the entire county heard us as we did so. The next day, the couple that owned the farmhouse came by to offer their help. The husband offered to look at the car, to change the oil and the oil filter, all out of the goodness of his heart. The wife went to purchase the replacement oil and a couple of other things in town and just asked for reimbursement for those parts. They went above and beyond to help us out in a tough spot. And when I went by to thank them at their house, they had a small picture of Yeshua on their door saying, I put my trust in Jesus. They were so kind and generous that my dad at the end of the trip said that they had restored his faith in humanity. What a testimony of God's faithfulness and compassion through his followers. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, God is good. It was here that I learned lessons four and five. Four, cars need to change the oil filter almost as often as they need an oil change. I know, you probably already know that. And more importantly, number five, God has given us a community in the body of Messiah to help us and encourage us along the way. It is my hope that this community, Tikvat Israel, is that for all of us who are listening, whether here or somewhere in Zoom land. This is our community. The rest of the trip was quite fun. We spent some time with uh, my parents and my wife visiting and learning about the beautiful and innovative architecture of Frank Lloyd Wright. Here is a picture of, uh, of my dad, or I guess me in 40 years. Um, and uh, this is one of uh, Frank Lloyd's Wright's creation. Frank Lloyd's Wright, what? I can't even talk today. His, one of his houses that he made, and you can see how it has unusual angles and the connection to the natural environment. Uh, one thing I learned about uh, the homeowner of Falling Water, another house we visited, um, it had uh, Frank Lloyd Wright told him, you know, I can build you a home on top of a waterfall. And all these engineers told the guy, no, don't do that. It's going to fall into the water. But he went with Frank Lloyd Wright. And then later the engineers came and prevented it from sinking into the water years later. And then they donated it to the public. 
So it kind of reminds me of the parable of Yeshua about counting the cost uh, and at the risk of sounding literal about building houses and things uh, or towers, this is what Yeshua said. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and figure out the cost to see if he has enough to finish it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and isn't able to finish everything, all who see it will begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king won't first sit down to consider whether he's able with 10,000 to confront the one coming against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far away, he sends an ambassador and asks for peace. So in the same way, whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple from Luke 14. So the context here is about considering the cost of following God and making wise, intentional decisions. So in other words, if you're going to make a decision, consider the consequences first, which for me was lesson number six uh, that I learned on the trip with my family. Whenever we make important decisions, it helps to think it through and be intentional, perhaps process with someone you trust, especially decisions related to the kingdom of God. And this brings us to this week's Parsha, Shoftim, found in Deuteronomy. Here we have Moses giving advice to a future king. They don't have a king yet, but he's saying, you know, I think you're going to get a king, and this is what you need to do. What I want you to do as, you, as we read this together is not to compare this to your life, but compare it to the life of perhaps the average ancient king, right? Just imagine him all fat and happy, absolute power. It's good to be the king, <laughs> right? That kind of guy. And then, you know, kind of like uh, the emperor's new groove, you know, Cusco. No, nobody? Okay. <laughs> so at the beginning of the movie, like, like Cusco, before he learns the, all the lessons. So here's some good advice from uh, good old Moses here. When you come to the land that Adonai, your God, is giving you, possess it and dwell in it, and you say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations around me, you will indeed set over yourselves a king, whom Adonai, your God, chooses. One from among your brothers will be appointed as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. Only he should not multiply horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to multiply horses, because Adonai has said to you, you must never go back that way again. Nor should he multiply wives for himself, so that his heart does not turn aside, nor multiply much silver and gold for himself. Now when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he is to write for himself a copy of this Torah on a scroll from what is before the Levitical Kohanim, the priests. It will remain with him and he will read it, read in it all the days of his life. Every day, he's got to read the Bible. In order to learn to fear Adonai, his God, and keep all the words of this Torah and these statutes, then his heart will not be exalted above his brothers, and he will not turn from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he may prolong his days in his kingship, he and his sons in the midst of Israel. Not multiply horses not return to Egypt to get more horses, right? Not multiply wives, not acquire lots of gold and silver. Now, who do we think would have benefited most from this 
sage advice in the Solomon. Yes. He did basically the exact opposite of this poor guy. All right. Yes. Here's some helpful commentary from the Talmud about Solomon in Sanhedrin 12b relating to this um, passage in Deuteronomy. And Rabbi Yitzhak says, for what reason were the rationales of Torah commandments not revealed? It was because the rationales of two verses were revealed and the greatest in the world, King Solomon, failed in these matters. It was written with regard to a king. He shall not add many wives to, for himself that his heart should not turn away. Solomon said, I will add many, but I will not turn away. As he thought that, it is permitted to have many wives if one is otherwise meticulous not to stray. And later, as it is written, for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. First Kings 11. But the amazing thing about Moses' advice to me is that the king himself is subject to the Torah. He has to write himself a copy, right? Ancient Near East kings, Cusco, right? Get to do whatever they want. But this king is a subject, a servant to the king of kings and has to follow the Torah. He is a subject of the king of kings as we all are, right? This brings us to an unresolved tension in the Bible. Was it God's will that Israel have a king? Have you ever thought about that? The, rag, the rabbis have argued about this for centuries, but I'll tell you the answer. Yes and no. Here's a summary of the conversation between the children of Israel and the prophet Samuel in 1 Kings 8. <clears throat> Samuel, we want a king. No, you, you don't want a king. Yes, yes. We want to be like all the other nations. The Hittites down the street just got a brand new king. They are like so cool. Look, uh, this king is going to tax your best crops. He's going to take the healthiest young men to be in his army. And plus, you know, power corrupts a person. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. Come on, everybody. No? Okay, just me. Fine. <sighs> this is uh, what God says. <clears throat> it's okay, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me because I am their true king. Scene. Thank you. So it seems from this that the answer is no. Maybe they shouldn't get a king. But all throughout the book of Judges, what does it say? Everyone did whatever seemed right in their own eyes because there was no king. And we see how terribly that went. So maybe the answer is yes. I think the answer, as I said, is both. And the reason is lesson number seven from my trip to Pennsylvania. God is so sovereign over our lives that he can take whatever decision we make, the wrong decision or the right decision, and use it in our lives to bring about an amazing plan. The Lord provided for us to get a 
new to us. I mean, it's not a new car, but it was new to us car up in Pennsylvania. That was exactly what my wife had been praying about and researching for almost two years. In fact, as soon as my Kia Rio started sputtering out, my wife said to herself in her own brain, I believe I will be driving back to Virginia in my dream car. Of course, that thought was very far from my mind, which would be lesson number eight, but that's outside the scope of this message. <clears throat> anyway, we got to the dealer to trade in my car, and I was planning to ride back with my parents, you know, I thought that made sense. But we said, you know, maybe we'll find something to drive back to Virginia in at the dealer where we trade in my poor defunct car. And so I took the, the car that Sonia had been researching uh, for a long time, I took it out for a test drive. And I was like, you know, I'm just not cashering with this car. You know, it's a good, it's safe, you know, it's, it's what we want, you've done the research. Um, but you know, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it, you know? And then my wife said, well, you know, maybe I could take it out for a test drive, you know? And I said, oh, I couldn't hurt, you know? And the rest is history. <laughs> I made, <laughs> woo, yeah. <laughs> I feel like God and my wife are ha hatching schemes, you know, without me. <laughs> it's okay, we're, we know we're slow, but we catch up eventually. I made some mistakes with, with oil changes and, and beating myself up about that, but God was sovereign over my choices to bring about a good thing, a good thing for our family. The people wanted a king and they got Saul, which turned out to be a disaster because God honored their bad decision. But then they got King David, who was deeply flawed, but from whom came the eternal king over Israel forever, Yeshua the Messiah. And also Solomon, who as we learned in the beginning of his life, had a kind of Eden in his kingdom. There was justice in the courts, right? There was peace, there was harmony, there, there was no war against their enemies, right? There was, the, the kingdom was filled with, with gold and there was harmony and it was like it was like Eden for a while until you know he went after the other gods but we know how that goes moreover God was sovereign over the persecution and trials of the son of David how he was mocked and scourged and humiliated how he died in agonizing death at the hands of the mighty Roman Empire. Think about it this way. God was sovereign over evil individuals who put to death the only righteous person to ever live. God was sovereign over the most undeserved suffering to ever occur. And then, brought resurrection through Yeshua and brought resurrection for all of us through that suffering and through that death. That means that there are no amount of good or bad choices that cannot be brought under the sovereignty of God for his good purpose. I'll say that again, if you like. 
There are no amount of good or bad choices that cannot be brought under the sovereignty of God for his good purpose. He is king. He is king over all things. The name of Yeshua is above every name that is named, including sin and including death. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Rav Shaul puts it like this. Let's say it together as we close. Now we know. I don't hear you. Let's try it again. All together. Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Avinu, our father, Malkenu, our king, we thank you that you are sovereign over the whole world. And like the chess master, there's no one that can outmaneuver you. And you are bringing all things to shalom, to Eden, to restoration, to healing, to new life. And you are bringing the world to come, the kingdom of heaven onto earth. And they are colliding. And we prayed, we sang this morning, come Lord Yeshua, even so come, like a bride waiting for her groom. And there will be a day when you finish everything, where you consummate all things. But in the meantime, you are also here in our midst. We don't have to wait for you to come to the mountain in Israel to split it in two. You are here with us now. And you are restoring all things now because the kingdom of God is upon us. It is also to come, but it is here. And so we entrust all these things that we're worried about, all our decisions, good or bad, we entrust them to you. We ask for your help and we ask for your guidance that you would help us make better decisions. But in the meantime, to trust you that you're king. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.